Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. It is good to be in your house tonight. And Lord, I am thankful for the ability that you've given us to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the safety that you've given us and just for the strength that you provide. God, I pray that you'd bless now this effort to preach your word, that you would use it, Lord, to help us, maybe to see something in our lives that is uh, kind of a blind spot maybe tonight. I pray that you'd just help us, Lord, to be open to your word and receptive to what you would tell us, Holy Spirit, in relation to it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you may remember that we began looking in the second chapter of this letter of Paul's uh, to the believers in Corinth. In doing so, he expounded on why he had not yet returned and made another visit uh, to the people of Corinth. He explained that whenever he came, he did not want to come in a spirit of heaviness because if he came in a spirit of heaviness, then there would be no one to cheer him. And so what we noticed throughout those first four verses was this, is that Paul admitted that to an extent he fed off of the actions and the spiritual behavior of those in Corinth. Whenever they were living in disobedience, it weighed on him. And whenever they lived in obedience, it was a source of joy and encouragement to him. And so last week I just tried to remind us that whenever it came, or whenever it comes rather, to the, uh, the work of the Lord, the ministry of, of being a pastor and things of that nature, I am no different than the Apostle Paul, and I am no better than the Apostle Paul. I had to admit to you last week that I do feed off of your actions, good or bad. So if you're living in obedience to the Word of God, then that's a source of encouragement. And if you're living in disobedience to the Word of God, then that serves as a discouragement. But to a broader spectrum, I tried to remind us of this, that all of us feed off of each other. Every one of us feed off of each other, whether we want to admit it or not. And so it is important for you and I to give attention to our actions because it will either encourage or discourage those around us. Pretty simple truth, but it's something that we need to be reminded of on occasion. Tonight we're going to obviously continue... As we continue tonight, I want us to think about something. We know this to be true. I'm not going to spend a long time trying to give you specific examples of this because I know that you're smart enough to uh, make the correlation in your mind. But I want you to think about tonight this truth that sometimes in life certain things must be done. There's not another option available. There's not some alternate route or some alternate method that you can take when doing this. Some things simply must be done in order for it to work the way it's supposed to work. I would imagine that tonight, if I were to ask you about your job, you would say there are certain things that it must be done this way. There's no two ways around it. It has to be done this way. If I were to talk to you maybe about paperwork you have to fill out, you would say it has to be done this way. You can't fudge on this. You can't alter it any. The paperwork has to be done this way. And right on down the line, you understand the principle that there are just certain areas in life that it must be done like this. Now, just because something must be done does not mean that it's always a bad thing. Would you agree with that? 
that just because something must be done does not mean it's bad. In fact, it could be a good thing that must be done, but sometimes what must be done might be a hard or difficult thing. But nonetheless, because of the nature of life, it must be done, and it must be done like this. So as you think about that, I think all of us would agree that in the spiritual realm of life, there are certain things that must be done. There are no other options available to us. There are no alternate routes that we can take. If we are going to live the Christian life the way the Christian life was designed to be lived, then there are certain things we must do. Would you agree with that? There are certain things that it must be done in order for the Christian life to be lived the way that God designed it. So what do I mean and what am I getting at whenever I say that? Well, this evening, one more little bit of backdrop and then we'll get to the text. I want us to be mindful of the fact tonight that we don't have every letter that was penned by Paul to some particular audience or some particular person. As much as the Apostle Paul seemed to enjoy writing, as that seemed to be his choice by way of communication to other people, it seems like it would be kind of foolish of us to think that every letter the Apostle Paul wrote was preserved on our behalf. The Scripture seems to indicate that other letters would have been sent, other notes would have been sent, but for whatever reason, these are the letters that God preserved for us for our benefit. And so sometimes, kind of like what I mentioned on Sunday morning, sometimes there are holes in the Scripture where we're not exactly sure what all is being said, what all is being conveyed, what all the context may be, but we have enough information where we can at least put the pieces together and come up with a pretty good idea. Again, I would ask, would you agree with that, to an extent at least? That, that we don't have everything, and so there are some parts of the Scripture where we would have to say it seems like this is the case or this could be the case. And tonight is one of those areas where some may say, well, this is definitely what the Apostle Paul is talking about, and you might be right, but there is a slim chance you or I could be wrong. So notice tonight what we have in verse number 5. In verse number 5, we have this statement, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Now, what is Paul saying in verse number 5? Well, the implication of the text seems to be this, that there is someone in the church who has done something that has been a source of grief not only to the Apostle Paul, but to those in the church. Paul said that it was of him to an extent that was grieved, but there were also others in the church who were grieved. But Paul said that I may not overcharge you all. And so in a sense, what he is saying is this, is now I don't want to make, her, make a bigger deal out of this than what the situation deserves. Because sometimes that can be the the way that we operate sometimes. Can it not that we make bigger issues out of things than what they really deserve? And so Paul is saying, now listen, I have been grieved. I'm not going to deny that. And I have been grieved in part by the actions of this person, but I don't want to make more of it 
than what it really deserves. So notice in verse number 6 what Paul says. He says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of or by many. So what does that mean? It just means this, that based on the actions of this person, whatever he did, whatever he was guilty of, the, the Scripture tells us that there were many or that it would have been the majority of the church who inflicted upon him some kind of punishment or some kind of discipline for his actions. Now, this is very important that we notice this. The Apostle Paul did not rebuke them for inflicting punishment for his actions. You realize this? The Apostle Paul did not rebuke them and say, Listen, guys, you were out of line for what you did. You were not in in your proper place for inflicting this punishment upon him for his actions. And so here is what seems to be conveyed in verse number 6 that the man was worthy of whatever punishment he received. So what does that mean? Well, it means this, that the members of the church were within their rights as a governing church body to exercise some kind of discipline on the one who was guilty of whatever the offense was. It was something that needed to be done. It was something apparently that had to be done. Or I think the Apostle Paul would have called them out on that and said, Listen, guys, that was not your place to address such a situation. So I want us to think about this because this is very, again, important based upon the culture that we live in. How many of us have ever noticed that we live in a very sensitive culture today? You and I cannot call anyone out. We can't call them out in public. If we were to call them out in public, then then we can be reprimanded because we embarrassed them and we made them look silly in front of coworkers or whatever it may be. Or, or, Or don't reprimand the child in front of his peers because that makes the child feel bad and all this other non-stuff. That's the kind of world we're living in, right? But the Apostle Paul does not seem at this moment overly concerned about the feelings or the ego or or the self-esteem of the individual who was punished by those in the church. So I want us to realize this. It is still a scriptural principle at times if the situation warrants it for people to have their sin called out and experience a measure of discipline by the church body because of sins they have been guilty of. Now, obviously, that does not mean that you go around identifying everyone else's sin but your own and calling them out on it. But there are times and there are occasions where the sin of an individual, it must be addressed whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter what their standing in the church has been. It does not matter. There are times and there are occasions where a person's sin must be brought before the church and there must be some kind of a discipline taken. It's biblical whether our culture is comfortable with it or not. 
But it's also important to notice this. Of the discipline, Paul said that it is sufficient. What does it mean for the discipline or the punishment to be sufficient? Well, it means this, it's satisfactory. It's appropriate, and that's enough. Let me ask you something. How many of us have ever had to discipline our children at some point in the past? We've all had to discipline our children at some point in the past, have we not? And what is the struggle sometimes in disciplining our children? Sometimes the struggle, for me at least, in disciplining our children, or my children, is this, is not going too easy on them while at the same time not being too hard on them. You ever been there? You want to make sure that they got the point, but you don't want to drive the point home until they resent you. So it's got to be satisfactory. It's got to be sufficient. It's got to be appropriate. It's got to be adequate. And here is what Paul said. He said, of the punishment that you were inflicted on him, he said, it is sufficient. Again, Paul did not rebuke them for exercising the discipline or the punishment on the individual. But as we read through the rest of the text, here's what we find that Paul tells them. He says, now that the sin has been dealt with, now that the sin has been addressed, now that the sin has been disciplined, or the individual has been disciplined, here's what you have to do now based upon what the Scripture implies to be their repentance Here's what you must do. You now must forgive the individual. Based on what the individual has done, the discipline that you placed in their life, which was sufficient, based upon their repentant, sorrowful attitude, here is what you are now called to do as believers. Forgive them. You must do it. Consider with me for just a moment this scenario. Maybe this has never happened to you, but I suspect it's happened to many of us. That in one way or another... We have been offended by the actions of an individual. We ever been there? I don't know who the individual would be. I don't know what the situation would be for you. I don't know what the context would be. But we've been offended. We have taken great offense to what the person has said or done. And they have apologized. They've said, I'm sorry. They've done what they can to make things right. What are we then required to do? What must we do? We must forgive. 
There is no other plan available to us. There is no other alternate route that we can take. If someone has offended us and they have come to us with a genuine measure of sorrow and a genuine measure of of repentance and an apology is extended to us, then you and I are required, according to the Scripture, to forgive the one who has been the offense to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm still just carnal enough that I struggle with that sometimes. There are just times in my flesh that things have happened and things have been done and things have been said and and it's been against me or it's happened to me or it's happened to my family or someone that I care about immensely. And as a result of what was said or done, the person may come to me and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, and I know what my response is supposed to be. But if I'm honest with you, you know what my flesh struggles with? It struggles with forgiveness. Now, maybe you're past that struggle in your spiritual life. Maybe you have so defeated that part of your flesh that that your flesh never struggles with not forgiving. But for those who may struggle with forgiving, the question may be, well, why do we have to forgive? Why do I have to forgive that? What they did was wrong. What they did was inexcusable. What they did was very hurtful. What they did has been repetitive. It's just over and over and over again. Why do I have to forgive that? Well, first of all, because Christ said we're supposed to. How many times do I forgive my brother, Christ? Do I forgive him seven times? What did Christ say? No, you forgive them 70 times seven. Most of us understand the implication there. You don't keep track, you just keep on forgiving. Why do I have to forgive? Why do I have to to get over this? Well, again, because Christ said. Christ also said, listen, if we don't forgive, we'll not be forgiven by him. So if you and I are not willing to extend forgiveness to someone based upon their offense toward us, Christ said, you'll not find forgiveness from me based upon your offense directed toward me. So why do I need to forgive? Because Christ said to forgive. But Paul also explained to the believers of Corinth, this is why you must forgive. Notice what he says in verse number 7. Verse number 6, let's start there. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with over much sorrow. Paul explains it like this. 
the one who has offended, the one who has wronged you, the church, whatever the situation was, whoever has done this, you've punished them and you have punished them sufficiently. It was adequate. It was appropriate. There's nothing wrong with what you did. But based upon their repentant, sorrowful spirit, here is why you must forgive them. So that they are not swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Here's what Paul is saying to the believers of Corinth. You must forgive them so that they are not overwhelmed with the grief of their offense. It's like Paul is saying this, listen, the offending party knows they did wrong. The offending party knows that what they did was not what they should have done. And they are sorry for what they have done. They are sorry for what took place. And and they have, it appears, they have extended unto you a sincere and genuine apology. As a result of their sincere apology, you need to forgive them so that they can forgive themselves and not continually suffer or struggle with the grief of their actions against you. Again, I'm just going to run a scenario by you tonight. This may have happened to you. This may not have happened at any point in your past. But how many of us tonight have ever done something that was wrong and it was a dandy? You did something and you knew at some point after you did it, wow, that was foolish, that was serious, that was stupid. However you'd like to describe it, you've made a mistake and man, was it a big one. If you've ever been in that situation and you've got any softness toward the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, here is what you've done as a result of that mistake. You have gone to the person and asked them to forgive you and you have been apologetic for what you have done. You ever been there? Or you've gone to the person you've said, listen, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I am so sorry. I, 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 if I could take it back, I would take it back immediately. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, but maybe the person that you offended wasn't quite ready to forgive you. If you've ever been in that situation, you know that situation doesn't feel real good. You want them to say, I forgive you. You want them to say, we'll work through it. You don't necessarily expect them to lie and say, it's okay, it's no big deal. Because you know better, even if they were to say that. But you are desperately desiring their forgiveness. And if you've ever not received the forgiveness of someone based upon actions you know were wrong... then you know how painful it is to not receive the forgiveness. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You don't want to do that 
to someone else. You don't want them to continue or to be swallowed up with overmuch grief. So for the sake of that individual, forgive them. But notice what he says in verse number 8. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him, so let him know that you still love him, that you've gotten over this. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. So this challenge to forgive this individual was something that Paul was testing them on. He says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, and whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. So I don't understand everything that Paul is saying in verse number 10, but he is saying some of what I have forgiven has been on your behalf. But notice what he goes on to say in verse number 11. He said, You also must forgive for this reason lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What does it mean whenever he says, lest lest Satan should get an advantage of us? The idea is, lest Satan be able to destroy us or consume us. He says, because we are not ignorant or unaware of his devices or his schemes. You know what Paul is telling them? There's a very important reason why we must forgive people. It's not only for their benefit, it's for our benefit as well. Because, see, if you and I don't forgive, Paul says, Satan will take advantage of that in an effort to destroy and consume us. We're not ignorant to how he works. You realize the humanity of mankind has been around since the creation of humanity, right? So since the fall of man, you know what one of Satan's schemes has been? One of Satan's schemes has simply been this. To destroy people's lives because of an unforgiving spirit and an unforgiving attitude. I'm sure I've said this at some point in the past. I'm just going to say it again, and maybe this will be a help to us. And Maybe you don't need it. I don't know. But how many of us have ever witnessed someone who got offended? And for whatever reason, they could never quite forgive the individual. And they could never quite get over it, and they could never quite get past it. And the person that it ruined and the person it destroyed was the one who could not let go of the bitterness and the resentment toward the individual who had offended them. I think every one of us at some point have met someone who was bitter and full of resentment towards someone because someone had offended them 
someone had wronged them, and rather than them being willing to forgive the individual, they held on to it, and it was them who was destroyed. I don't know if I need to be transparent or not tonight. I'm just going to be, and maybe this will help. And again, maybe it's not necessary for you. I'm just saying, going back to what I said a moment ago, sometimes my flesh struggles to forgive like I need to forgive. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things are said. Sometimes things are done. And and people may or may not give me an apology. They may offer an apology that I think is kind of weak. It doesn't seem as sincere as I'd like it to be, or it doesn't seem as genuine as I would like it to be. And, and because of that, my flesh, my carnal, my, my carnal flesh, it, it says that wasn't real, that wasn't genuine. So I'm just going to hold on to that for a little bit longer. No, that one hurt deep. That one's going to take some time to heal. And every single time that I have held on to an offense where I have let resentment and bitterness take hold in my life, you know who is the one who suffers the most? It would be me. I think if you're honest tonight, you know this, that any time you have held on to an offense, any time you have held on to a hurt that needed to be forgiven, and it bred within you resentment and bitterness and other foul emotions, it was you who suffered more than the person who did the offense against you. I want us to see this. An individual did something wrong and they were disciplined for it and the discipline was sufficient. It was appropriate. It needed to be done. So that's not to say that we just gloss over things and we act like it didn't happen and and we say things that aren't true like it's okay, it's no big deal when in fact we know it's not okay and it was a big deal. But when the person issues an apology... Paul says we must forgive. You have to. So that they're not overwhelmed with the sorrow. And so that Satan is not able to get the advantage in your life like he desires to do. And so tonight, I don't know. Tonight you may be sitting here and you say, Brother Kyle, I don't have anything against any individual in all the world. And if that's true, that's fantastic. Brother Kyle, I can't think of a single person that I don't have anything against right now. I can't think of a single family member right now that I don't have something against. I I can't think of any person in my life that, that I'm upset with. Well, obviously, that's a wonderful position to be in. But I'm reminded of this truth that the Holy Spirit knows how to work in amazing ways. 
And the Holy Spirit is able to remind us of certain people that we have not yet fully forgiven because we haven't wanted to. Now, again, I'm not saying that's true of you. I'm just saying it's possible that it's true of someone in here tonight that as the sermon has been preached, if the Holy Spirit has been working in your life, the Holy Spirit might be putting a little name in your head right now saying, you know you've never really totally forgiven them. You've still got some resentment toward them, and you've still got some bitterness toward them, and you're still holding this over their head, whether it be to them personally or just in your mind. You haven't gotten past this yet. And if the Holy Spirit has brought someone to mind like that tonight, I would just say this. In order for you or for myself to move on, you know what we have to do? We have to forgive. And, and, and I know our flesh sometimes may say, but they never asked for an apology. Well, obviously, they're not too worried about it then if they've never asked for an apology or never offered an apology or, or, or asked for forgiveness. If they've never done that, they're not worried about it. So you may be like some people I know, and they think that's their out to not forgive them. Well, how's that working for us? We must forgive. I don't want to forgive. Trust me, I know there are people in my life I don't want to forgive. And there are people in my life that the Holy Spirit reminded me of today that said, you haven't forgiven them yet, have you? I want to, but it's hard. But if I don't, I'll be the one who suffers because that's how Satan can get to me. So if there's someone that the Holy Spirit has reminded you of, you haven't forgiven them, whomever it may be, you might want to spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, help me to forgive the way that I must because there is no plan B, there is no alternate route. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, Lord, I don't know if anyone tonight needs this message from an immediate standpoint. Lord, we may all be good with everyone in our lives at this moment and just really not having any issues with this. But Lord, it's possible that someone tonight is reminded of that individual who has been an offense to them. And maybe we're still trying to punish the person for what they've done to us. We're not letting them heal and in doing so, we're not letting ourselves heal either. God, whatever it may be, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, however it would be appropriate, that you'd bless the invitation tonight. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.